you can have a great idea and you can be providing value because we were providing value and the way using it. But if you don't figure out how to capture that value, um, you don't actually have a sustainable business. So we had to pivot and then capture this value through the universities. So now universities pay for the product um, with an annual subscription and prospects can use it for absolutely for free at an unlimited amount of time um, and speak to an unlimited amount of ambassadors. So we've been able to provide the same value or even more, but capture that value through the universities who, who benefit commercially a lot from it. Um, but I think sometimes people learn that lesson a bit too late because you can, you can always push profitability back and be like, yeah, we'll figure out a way to make money later on. But actually you need to know what your value is and how you're gonna capture that as early as possible. Welcome, this is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 Under 30 Entrepreneur and Performance Coach. Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, we bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He made the Forbes Europe list in 2020 for the social entrepreneurship category. He's the co-founder and CTO of Unibuddy. Selecting the right university is one of the biggest decisions a young person will make. So Unibuddy helps by being like a Facebook for connecting students at current universities with prospective students that are looking to potentially attend that university. They're currently in schools like Oxford, Arizona State University, and more. He graduated as an electrical engineer and has a master's in computer science. And with Unibuddy, that has become one of the fastest growing education startups in the world, helping over 250,000 students to decide where and what to study across 300 universities in over 30 countries. They've raised over $12 million to date and have offices in London, New York, and Bangalore. Please welcome my very special guest, Kaimeshin Naidu. Hey, how's it going, Phil? Um, really great to be here. Very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm honored. And uh, before we dive into things, where were you when you found out you made the list? It was definitely during lockdown. And um, I was at home. Um, the funny thing is, and I don't know if Forbes does this to everyone, but they don't actually like let you know uh, beforehand. So I, I just noticed the list came out. I was like, oh, okay. Um, the list came out, let me take a look. And, and I didn't expect to be in it. And then it was actually um, just scrolling down it. And then I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like I, I'm in the list. And then I got on a call with my co-founder and we were just like uh, really excited and talking about it. Such a proud moment, especially when you're not expecting it. And then you find out you're like, wow, proud, <laughs> excited. Yeah. But uh, before we dive into more of what you're doing now, can you take us back to the very beginning? where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now, ultimately making it to the Forbes list. Yeah, definitely. So I, I grew up in, in South Africa on the East Coast um, near, um, near the city of Durban, um, but it's actually a small town called Tongat, which is mainly um, a sugarcane farming town. Um, so yeah, I grew up there, went to high school in, in Durban. And when I, was, when I was around 13, 14 years old, I, I started to teach myself how to code um, on an old Pentium 2 at the time, um, just um, looking at a Python ebook 
um, that I managed to find and started to code. And that was the first thing I remember doing that really stuck. And, you know, I started doing it and I just found it really, really absorbing and, and engrossing. So um, ever since then, it, it was just like building a lot of pro small projects, websites, apps. Um, you know, I, I built a website while in high school on quantum computing and entered it into like this web design competition. Um, that, that, that was when I was 17 years old and um, got to got to interview Mark Shuttleworth um, for that as well, who's like the founder of... Um, of 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 um of, of of what became very sign um and also was the first african to to go to space um as well and it was really it was really it was it was really amazing to, to sort of like get his opinions on quantum computing which no one knew about at the time but a lot of people are speaking about now so was always really interested in 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 coding and computers used to buy a magazine called pc format um every single month I don't even know if they make it anymore. Um, used to be interested in building my own computers. And when I, when I finished high school, I, I studied um, electrical um, and computer engineering. Um, and after that, I, I worked in industry for a few years as an engineer. So I was interested in, in also not, not just software, but also hardware. So I joined uh, Schlumberger, which is an energy company. And I worked actually on a ship um, for, uh, for five to seven weeks at a time. And we were exploring the oceans for new, um, hydrocarbon reserves. And I was essentially working as an engineer on the ship, um, with the software and hardware systems, um, to collect data and build a picture of what's beneath the ocean, um, essentially. Um, so I did that for two to three years, um, eventually became really sort of isolating being on a ship and wanted to get back to living in a city. So I um, quit my job and moved to London to start a master's in computer science at, at UCL. And that's where I suppose my entrepreneurial journey really began. Um, um, as a student, got involved in a few startups going on, um, you know, joined a few small early startups that ultimately failed while as a student um, working part-time, um, but got a taste for it. And um, then, while in the final few months of my master's, um, I got a, a LinkedIn message from uh, Diego, who today is my co-founder, and he had this idea to create a platform that would connect current students with high school students that were looking to enter university. Um, and it's, it's a problem and pain that really spoke to me because I, I came to London, didn't know anyone that's been to UCL, what to expect. And um, really, um, we were solving our own problem in a sense. So I was like, yes, let, let's build this, let's try it out. So I actually ended up building the original platform, um, which was a marketplace um, that allowed any student in the world to sign up. And then it allowed high school students to chat with these students um, during my master's dissertation. So it was my master's dissertation project. I built the platform. Uh, we launched it. And um, from there, um, we, we iterated, things took off. And in summary, four years later, you know, Unibody has actually, that platform has become a, um, a fast-growing ed tech company. Uh, we have 300 universities in, in, the, in the world that use our product in, in over 30 different countries. And we've helped 250,000 students to, to decide where to study and what to study by connecting them with, uh, with, with students already at universities. And um, yeah, it's amazing because it, it gives the students who are thinking about going to university a different perspective than the typical salesperson at the administrative office who's 
much older than you isn't going to probably desire the same things that you desire in a university. They're trying to help you navigate the system. Whereas if you were just talking to your friend or your buddy that could help you give you a, a different perspective, a student life perspective of the university it would be more uh, applicable and you could probably resonate with the, their energy more. You'll have more chemistry, someone your age and, and you can go, that's really cool. And, and I mean, such a dichotomy from what you were doing previously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, that's exactly it. Because we found that universities often would send you brochures or email you some content or you're browsing their website, but you can't actually speak to someone that you can relate to and, you know, ask them questions about non-serious stuff as well. Like, what's the social life like, you know? Like, that's the type of things that people want to know as well when they go to university, you know? Like, where should I live? Like, what, what is the best places to stay? Um, things like this that, that we find our platform allows students to really connect about and find real information that they can't really find from a university's website or, or like a, a sales brochure, you know, as you say. Yeah, that's a great point. I remember when I was looking for colleges, we had this website called collegeboard.com, I think it was. And it was just showing you the data, like acceptance rates, where it's located, but you didn't have someone to speak to. And I remember my guidance counselor in high school was telling me, hey, someone else from your high school went to this university. Here's their contact info. So I reached out to them because I was, it was a friend of a friend. And that's how I got warmed up to the idea. So it's exactly, it was like the proxy to what you created. Um, I reached out to them directly through the guidance counselor, whereas you've created a platform to do that in a much easier, more modern day version. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I did that as well. Before I, before I moved to London, I, I tried LinkedIn uh, to message people, Reddit even, to find out, um, to find people who'd, who'd studied what I was looking to study at the university. So this platform is about not only making it easier and automating it in a way, but also about democratizing access to this information. Because otherwise it ends up that if you're well-connected and you know students who study at these universities, then you get access to this information. If you want to go to Harvard and you know someone in Harvard, then you know you could ask them for tips on how to apply, um, what they're looking for, and you kind of have an edge. Whereas if you come from a different background, you're growing up in a small village anywhere else in the world, in a developing country, um, you don't know, you might not know someone who's at, who's at Harvard or at, at Cambridge or Oxford. And you know, we, we believe everyone should have an equal opportunity to access this information and go go to their dream university that's a great way to look at it anyone in the world can use this irrespective of the clout that you have or the people you know so how do you reach those kids how do you reach the kids in high school that are potentially going to be your prospective students at these universities yeah so one of the one of the advantages we have is that we don't have to go out and actively um, reach high school students because we have our platform embedded on a college's or university's website itself. So basically, when you're interested in a university, you normally go to their website anyway. Um, and when you go there, you'll then find our platform. Usually, um, it will say chat to students or chat to our students. You click there and uh, you're ready to go. So we actually, we're, we're, we're bringing universities um, that already have large amounts of traffic uh, we're allowing them to add more value to that and provide um, access to this information through our platform. And engagement. 
Yeah, exactly. A lot daily more. engagement. So, okay. So they go to the website, they find out, they, let's, let's say they see the chat with our students button, they click it, then what happens? So once they click that, um, you, will have, you will see our platform, which looks like a, um, a, a web application, um, a page, and you'll see different profiles of current students. Um, it's a card, you, they have a picture of themselves um, and a little bit about them underneath it, like what they're studying, what languages they speak, where they're from. So you can actually use our filters as well to find a student that speaks the same language that you speak and maybe from the same country that you're from. Um, and then you can click chat on their profile and you'll, and you, you'll then enter a direct messaging chat uh, where you, you'll have to sign up and then you can send them messages and they will reply to you. And then it's like a WhatsApp conversation um, like students are, are using and chatting on every day. That's awesome. So that way they can actually see someone who looks like them or speaks the same language or might even be from their own neighboring town. So they feel like they might have more chemistry uh, with them or they might be wanting to study the same thing and they're thinking about going to that school and they're debating between two universities that have great programs for let's say organic chemistry and they can't make that final game time decision and they speak to a student who's in organic chemistry and they tell them oh you know what i was vetting the same schools and this is why i made the decision to ultimately come here yeah exactly and and you know our our vision really is that no decision especially life-changing decisions should be made alone and in this way, you, when you're trying to make these life-changing decisions, because going where you study is like, sort of like the, big, the first big decision you make in your life. Everything else before that is kind of formulaic. You, go to, you, know, you grow up, you learn, to like, uh, you learn to speak, you learn to, to do these things, and you go to school. And then you have to suddenly decide on like, your career for the rest of your life. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a big decision that people often make without um, having the right information. Um, and enough information at hand. Seems like this could be applicable to many other uh, entities. I mean, first thing I do, let's say before I hire a coach, because I'm a performance coach now for entrepreneurs. First thing I do is I ask to speak with some of their current clients, because you want to get the perspective of who the end user is or the beneficiary. So I feel like if with General Assembly, for example, or Launch Academy, some of these coding boot camps, that's another avenue that your service might be applicable for, or a company even, if they want to work at a certain company and they want to speak with someone who's a current employee. I mean, couldn't you see this being something applicable outside of just university? Yeah, 100%. We, we, we look at it um, in a way that we're starting with, with universities. But our ultimate vision is that, you know, no key decisions in life should be made alone. So whether this is going to, whether it's choosing the university, um, choosing your first job or, or choosing um, your next job, if you're currently looking at, 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 at a new role, um, all these different decisions, we, we want to help people to make it based on speaking to someone who's done that before and can, can give you um, information that maybe can stop you from making the same mistake that they made, for example, you know? Yeah, the insider info. I mean, even if you're a doctor coming out of medical school and you want to see what it's like to work in a particular, you know, practice or hospital or clinic before you go there and you don't want to hear it from the administration because they are obviously going to see it through one lens, but you want to hear a more yeah. authentic or truthful lens coming from 
the beneficiary. So that makes sense. Or if someone's working at Tesla and they want to get a job at Tesla and they don't know anyone currently working there, well, maybe they could use your resource to get there. So what about the universities? It seems like that's the biggest hurdle, right? Is you want to be in as many universities as possible. So this becomes ubiquitous globally. So yeah. what do you do to get into these universities? Why isn't everyone using this? Yeah, well, well, we want everyone to be using it, um, you know, every university in the world. And we've proven that it, it works for any type of university in any country of any size, um, any specialization, you know, design schools, art schools as well. Because as we've just discussed, it's not really um, the concept of that's, that's specific to universities, but it's connecting people um, with people who can help them make the decision. So the way we've currently been approaching universities is, is through, 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 through both um, our sales team, which often go to university conferences uh, or fairs, but we also get a lot of inbound um, sort of requests because when we initially launched Unibuddy, universities didn't really understand how to use peer-to-peer um, and it wasn't really used. Um, they they would have, you know, brochures, open days, um, email marketing, things like this, but they didn't really understand how to use their current students to engage with their future students. And over the past three years, what we've done is actually make peer-to-peer the norm. And now what we find is um, universities are going out looking for a peer-to-peer platform, whereas before they didn't even know that they needed it. So in a sense, we feel like we've, we've got to a point where we've educated the market and, and universities are now coming um, and looking for a peer-to-peer platform. And, and, and you know, we, we, we have this for them. And it's kind of like, if you don't have it now, you're at, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, you're already behind. And yeah. now you just need to pour fuel on the fire because it's already grown. Are you, are you the number one most used in the world? Did you have like a, a competitor in the market? So we, we, yeah, we do have competitors in the market, um, though, yeah, we, we are the number one in the world and we did um, introduce this to the market. So um, we were a first mover in that sense. Um, and so you had first mover advantage. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you incentivize the current students to do this? Because I'm sure they might be thinking, well, I don't really have the time for this or I'm not interested. I have to study for my organic chemistry exam. How do you incentivize them to help these prospective students out? Yeah, so this is this is probably one of the most common questions that that people ask, and it's a fair question. Um, but many people don't know is most universities they have student ambassadors, um, who um, who they they have participate in open days um, to show students around in career fairs to um, to talk to prospective students and, and, and show them about the different careers they can get into if they study something. So universities already have student ambassadors who they pay for their time, um, uh, the time that they spend um, to, to help them to do these things. And what we did is basically bring them online. So we're like, okay, you have your student ambassadors, but you can actually engage um, your future students by connecting them with these student ambassadors online. So they're already um, investing in these student ambassadors. You're just allowing them to maximize their investment in these student ambassadors. So instead of just, I think we, your open day is probably what we call move-in day or um, yeah. orientation. 
where you have a few days before the semester starts and the new class comes yeah. in and they're escorted and given tours by the the ambassadors. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly it. So yeah, we're bringing them online, and we also find that students are actually they're very passionate, um, you know, about their university, especially in the U.S. They're very proud of their of the college they go to, and they want to share, you know, their experience, and they want to to help future students to to make this decision. So some universities even have voluntary ambassador programs, and those are often the best programs because these ambassadors are, are they're not doing it. For like you know, for like for for an hourly rate, but they're they're just super passionate about about the about the college they're in, about and about helping future students. Yeah, I'm a alma mater. You know, in my alma mater, I'm a huge fan of of promoting the university. It did so much for me, and I always like to give back. I'm wondering if alumni would even get involved in something like this to help out and just give back to their university. Yeah, it's definitely something we're looking at, and a, and, a, and a type of different user that we can engage and 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 bring on to to add even more value to you know current students and potential students. Very cool. And um, what would you say is the most common questions that the students are asking? Have you do you have that data? So we the data is anonymized, so um, we 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 can only um, perform aggregations. And we 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 will um, basically process the text, and and in an anonymized way um, to to topic classify them using our our NLP algorithms. Um, so we we find a range of questions. Um, the most common topics are depending on the type of student and where they are. Uh, but student finance is a very 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 big topic you know like um what are the what are the loan options or scholarships or bursary options um accommodation is 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 always a big topic um social life as well so accommodation social life finances and then um course info so information about the courses you know how many modules do i have to do how heavy is the coursework load uh, how good are the professors um things like this um, so th those are the main broad categories, um, though we have published a few white papers about um, the topics and the subtopics and how they differ from different regions and different levels. So un undergraduates and postgraduates may have different. I could uh, see that being extremely helpful for the university to, yeah. you know, craft their messaging properly and their marketing. If they know that everybody's asking about how they're going to finance their education education well maybe there needs to be more stuff on your website or homepage or more words in your marketing material that uh, allude to the proper financing tools that you could utilize thinking yeah. about your success i mean you guys are crushing it this is awesome and i think every university should be using it thinking about your success what's the single most important attribute you think got you to where you are today i think at the end of the day you have to be solving a pain point for your customer and one of the things about the higher education industry is that they're often using solutions that are quite archaic and there is a lot of, a lot of, a lot of opportunity to disrupt. Um, and what we did was introduce peer to peer, which, which was quite disruptive. And the key thing was proving that it works. So we, we initially started with five pilot universities who tried it out for free. And at the end of the day, no matter how much you market or, or how much you sell, your product has to work. 
and you know they, they use it for free and they were only going to pay and 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 subscribe for the year if if they found it to be valuable and 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 we proved that um the engagement they got on it is is more than engagement they got through any other marketing medium whether it was putting out facebook or google ads or sending uh, e- or email campaigns but the kind of conversion rates that 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 we were providing was in the in the order of 10x from these traditional mediums um so the the key factor is is having a product that is at least 10x you know faster better or easier to use and i i think that's what we did um compared to the existing solutions yeah of- and it sounds like you were solving one of their top problems i i always teach you know young startups make sure you're solving one of the top three problems they currently have or else it's not going to be a priority on their agenda and a daily engagement is huge for them especially from their number one customers the prospective students coming in so it sounds like you solved a huge pain point for them in a way that, that was 10x stronger and more valuable than any other platform they were currently using or channel distribution channel yeah. currently using and what would you say are the university's most um, or highest value they they get out of it what what do they say generation z as as we'd call you know 17 18 year olds um that are looking to to start college today they expect the expectations are very different from people who were applying to university 20 or 30 years ago um you know they expect instant responses they expect to be able to get the information they want I mean this is the generation of like having Amazon delivered to you on the same day getting an Uber in 5 minutes it's the you know it's the, it's the on demand generation so the the key value is that universities haven't been able to do this they really struggled with engaging with generation z and this is what unibody is allowing them to do and has allowed them to do to really engage with the generation of of students that expect to be able to chat with the university like they chat with their friends on 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 Instagram or or Snapchat you know seems like a lesson for all businesses that's what that's what we all want now is like we're so used to this instant gratification if i message you i want a response immediately if i google something i have the information at my fingertips and you were able to do that and you're doing it for an antiquated archaic industry i mean i even have spoken with uh, my university city and my alma mater university of tampa in tampa florida and they um they have a tiktok account they have an instagram account and they are active i mean they're always posting and i could see a lot of prospective students messaging them directly and being very engaging with their social media platforms so the fact that you can do this now directly through their website is awesome as well and one of the things i'm noticing i'm not sure if this is the trend in the uk as well in the us there's a a common trend with the NFL the American football where when you are a college athlete and you're going to get into you're going to get drafted into the the professional league the NFL National Football League you have this draft party you invite your friends over your family over and you have it videotaped that way when as soon as you get the acceptance you all start cheering you're on the phone with the coach he says you know congratulations welcome to the Dallas Cowboys for example and everybody's cheering there's crying there's celebration they put the hat on of the new team and they make it this rewarding you know celebration and this has been done for years well now 
college students are doing this with their or high school students are doing this with their universities that when they get their acceptance letter have you seen this trend i mean they decorate their entire rooms they have banners they have the colors and the instagram accounts of these universities are taking advantage of that and sharing that story because it obviously propagates yeah. the enthusiasm and desire to go to their university how are you capitalizing on that yeah so i i've definitely noticed this trend i think it is more it is growing in the us more than anywhere else um and you know on, on our platform we, we we provide a way for current students to share their experiences so in terms of prospective students being able to share this um we don't have a way but this is something we should look at and it, it's it's a good point there's we we could help them to share this on on a, on a biggest uh, bigger platform and help universities to to engage with the with these reactions as well yeah these reactions seem to be going viral so if you can capitalize on that virality i think you you have a big advantage there yeah, um we talked about the success what about on the flip side what's been maybe your biggest lesson you've learned along your journey that you wish you had learned from sooner yeah it's there's there's been a lot of lessons um the first one and maybe the most obvious one but we we learned to through trial and error was that um we initially launched this marketplace where current students could um could connect to prospective students um but we didn't involve the universities so it was a direct marketplace and the idea was that uh prospects would be able to chat a few minutes for free and after that they would have to pay to chat to these um to these ambassadors and we found a lot of engagement everyone signed up and everyone wanted to chat for free um but nobody wanted to pay um so i think the biggest lesson is you can have a great idea and you can be providing value because we were providing value and they were using it but if you don't figure out how to capture that value um you don't actually have a sustainable business so we had to pivot and then capture this value through the universities so now universities pay for the product um with an annual subscription and prospects can use it for absolutely for free at an unlimited amount of time um and speak to an unlimited amount of ambassadors so we have been able to provide the same value or even more but capture that value through the universities who who benefit commercially a lot from it um but i think sometimes people learn that lesson a bit too late because you can offer like you can you can always push profitability back and be like yeah we'll figure out a way to make money later on but actually you need to know what your value is and how you're going to capture that as early as possible yeah that's a great way to put it and one of the things i always recommend is is don't offer the beta for free because people pay attention to what they pay for and so they're going to give you more valuable feedback in the beta stage if they're paying for it cuz they're going to be like hey listen this isn't working buddy you need to fix this quick whereas if they're doing it for free they might not pay as much attention to it they might not give as much critical feedback and honest blatant direct feedback that you need as an early stage startup to make the right changes and pivots early on to get there it sounds like you were able to capture that even though you did do that that beta you were able to capture some of that customer discovery early on make the pivot where you could make sure this is a sustainable business and now i love that you have the annual subscription so you already know where your revenue is going to be coming from 12 months from now rather than a monthly subscription yeah 
Yeah, and this works well with with college and university budgets because they usually budget for the year. Um, and yeah. I suppose something to add to this is a new concept I think about is is your is your product COVID cost cost cutting proof? So if you're developing a product, you should think about if your customer were going through these spreadsheets or the list of expenses and looking to cut cost, would would yours be one of them that they're looking to cut? And it's, as you say, unless you're solving like the top three pain points or problems for them, they're probably gonna 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 want to cut that cost out, uh, cut cut that cost out, and and then you don't have a customer anymore. Yeah, it's more like ancillary benefit yeah. rather than something that they actually must have. This is an absolute need. This is gonna be driving revenue into our doors because we have more engagement, which leads to better. Uh, more prospective students, more customers potentially. So I could see why they would value this so much irrespective of whether there's a crisis going yeah. on or, or depression. Um, you know, thinking about the pivot of, you know, the hustle. I love that you started early on working for other startups. I think it's a great tip for anyone that's thinking about starting their own company is work for another startup first, see what it's like team dynamics, the pitfalls, the, the ups, the downs, the ebbs, the flows. So you can see what it's like before you risk everything on your own <laughs> and start your own company. And I love that hustle that you had. And it, uh, while you're a student is a great way to take that risk. But thinking about your hustle, what's something scrappy you did to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed it in the very early stages, but you're willing to share now that you're further along? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think initially when we pitched our product to universities, um, we didn't actually have it fully built firstly. So we were trying to to figure out what is the what is what should the product look like and the pitch that is gonna result in no questions being asked. Because when you pitch something, if if your customers are asking you questions about like how do I do this or does it do this or why doesn't it do this? that actually means you don't have product to market fit. The only question you want to hear is how much is it? If you pitch something and the next question is, you know, how much is it? Like, just take my money. We want it now. That's when you know you've hit product to market fit. And early on, you know, we, 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 we did multiple things. Like we first suggested that we would have a website, unibody.com and universities would link to unibody.com from their website. And that didn't sit very well because they, they were like, yeah, but we don't want to take people away from our website. And, and that's where I started to look at other platforms like OpenTable and realized like you can, there's power in, in embedding something that's a bit more white label and can be powered by your company into a customer's site. And that's when, you know, we didn't actually build it and I didn't actually know how to do this, how to embed it into a website how to create an iframe, how to make it customizable because they wanted to change the colors. And we, we pitched that, hey, yeah, we have this platform. You can embed it in your website. It's going to be one line of code and it's going to work out the box and you can change the color. Um, and I took a risk there because I kind of knew it was possible, but I, I, and, or I knew it had to be possible because I'd seen other similar products, but I didn't know how to do it. And after that, that really hit the spot and I had to figure out how to do it. And that was probably one of the trickier um, things early on to figure out how to get an iframe to like resize in their website, how to customize the color. We used a simple color code in the URL, which worked initially, but turned out to not scale very well. And we had to change that. Um, but it's, it's kind of, yeah, you, you need to figure out what is the product that 
that that allows you to 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 pitch it to your customers. And your next question is, how much is it? Um, that's and a that's great what you, rule. Of, that, that's what you need to build. That's what. That's a great rule of thumb. Is you could focus so much on all these ancillary benefits or features. And it's like, is it solving their number one most important problem? And if it is, they're going to ask, how much is it? Take my money. <laughs> I love that approach. That's great. And and you're able to do that on a in a very quick, scalable way. And you, this is like the fake it till you make it approach. I mean, you knew that of that you'd learn how to do. It. You figure out the why or the, the how all that matters is the why and you'll figure out the rest along the way. That's, I think that's the biggest difference I've noticed between the employee mindset and entrepreneurial mindset. And they don't understand this concept of it doesn't matter that you, you don't know it now you'll figure it out. So the, the answer is always yes. We'll get it done no matter what. And you just keep moving forward. You pivot, you make adjustments because if you don't adapt, you die. And you learned how to adapt to the different situations of what they were asking for. I was speaking with the founder of Priceline.com, the travel site, and he was giving advice to uh, one of his clients. And the client sold the metal frame that mounts a TV to the wall so you could have the, the TV mounted to the wall. And he had like three, he goes, what's your unique selling point? And he had like three bullets. He's like, you know, it's very quick to set up. It's um, you're able to remove it and, and move it around to other rooms if you need to remove it. And then three, it's made of airplane grade steel. So it's very strong. And so he's, he said, okay, what's the most important though to your customers? And he didn't know the answer. So he said, let's go talk to some customers. So they went to where it sat on the shelf in the stores and they just started talking to customers. As soon as they would pick one off the shelf, they said, sir, excuse me, um, what's the number one reason you decided on that TV mount versus this other one? And after like 30 people, they found a common theme. They were all saying it's the airplane grade steel. And you say, why is it the airplane grade steel that really caught your eye? And he said, well, I just spent $5,000 on a TV. If this steel is good enough for an airplane, it's good enough to hold up my expensive investment of my TV. And he had no idea that that was the number one most important. So he said, remove all the other jargon, remove all the other marketing messages. All I want you to sell is how amazing this airplane grade steel is. I want it to be everywhere, all over the packaging. And they don't quote me on the number, but increase the sales tremendously and exponentially. And he was just blown away by just find out what is the exact number one reason that your customers want your product or service and just focus on that. And, and a lot of times I find entrepreneurs and I was guilty of it too, is you want to build all things for all people. So you start adding all these features, these benefits, and, and then you become, you try to become all things to all people. You end up becoming nothing to no one. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's a great question. And it sounds like you were able to identify what the number one most important thing was, you know, having this native app and in, integrated into the website, having the colors match the university's colors. So that way it's, it's seamlessly integrated. A lot of products in the higher education world, they're quite complicated and they require a complicated integration. And that makes it much more difficult for, for a college to agree to use that. So simplicity was really key early on like being like hey just one line of code you put it in your website there's nothing else you have to do 
Um, it's, it's really powerful. Um, Making it convenient, simple. The onboarding's got to be simple because they feel like it's another burden. They're already busy. They already have their full-time job, their tasks set up for them. If they have to do another, you know, additional <laughs> tasks, they're like, oh, it's not worth it. Yeah. So, so the key was um, solving, um, solving a pain point in, in a very, very simple way um, early on. Congrats. We're going to transition now into something I mentioned that it's called the under 30 seconds round. I'm going to fire off some questions, answer with the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. What's the book you've gifted more often than any other book? And why? Um, Measure What Matters by John Dewar. Um, this is the book on OKRs. And I just think you can apply OKRs to everything in your, in your life, not just, not just work. So I've given that to a lot of people because they, they're, always, they're always trying to like figure out what, what should I be doing? I'm, I'm doing too many things, et cetera. Yeah, and for those listening, the OKRs are Objectives Key Results. It was founded by a, a guy that John Dewar worked with in, I think, the 50s, but it was popularized by Google and Uber executives. And it's been found to be the most efficient and effective way to achieve your goals. I've been using it since 2017 for not only my personal goals, but also my company. And now that I'm a coach, I actually work with teaching my clients how to use the OKR methodology. So I teach them and train them on OKR methodology specifically. I actually, what I, when I lived in Dubai, I would teach companies how to onboard their entire team to learn company OKRs. So important and so, just yeah. measure what matters. You're making sure you're focused on the absolute most important things in a quantifiable, measurable way. What's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Best investment would be um, starting Unibody, and good answer. Outside of that, it would be I bought a cryptocurrency very early on called Ripple, and um, that uh, that increased quite a lot. Uh, worst would be I bought a a South African coin, um, <laughs> um, a Nelson Mandela coin, and I thought it was much rarer than it actually was. Than it actually was. It turns out they, they had made much, uh, many more copies of it. So it wasn't worth as much. So I think that's my, my worst investment. What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? Morning routine, something recently I've been doing is reading um, philosophy books instead of starting to check my email. Um, and the reason is something I learned from essentialism is that if you start your day reading something that that cause you to question what you're doing, you're more proactive and less reactive. Uh, evening routine, um, simple thing, just flossing. I, I just find like, like flossing in the evening just makes me like go into like time to go to bed mode. There you go, the wind down, <laughs> um, anchoring. And, and in terms of philosophy, is there any that you recommend in particular? I follow a lot of stoicism. Is there anything that you- Yeah, I'm actually reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, Great one. Just started it, but it's, it's, it, it's pretty amazing so far. Pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. What's the very first thing you do to start your new business? I think we have a, a problem. A, a big problem right now is, is government leadership in pretty much every country in the world. So I would look at starting a, a think tank or an incubator that would be able to figure out how to produce leaders that can improve governments around the world. Um, it's ripe. That industry is ripe for disruption. Yeah. 
Last one. What's something you never knew you needed? Sleep. Um, I think I, I used to, I used to be of the mentality that, you know, sleep when you're dead, you don't need sleep. But I read a lot recently and learned, learned a lot recently that it's actually, it's, it's, it's not a healthy mindset and it's, it's, it's the best thing you can do for, for yourself is make sure you get enough sleep. If you, it's if so you're important awake. for your brain. And yeah. it's not about what time you wake up and how many hours you're awake. It matters. What did you do in the hours that you were awake? So if you can get something done because your brain is performing at a higher processing speed in one hour than someone that takes four hours to do it, you're working smarter rather than harder. I was of the same belief too. I used to say like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, only those who are broke are the ones that are sleeping and pulling all nighters, pulling all nighters. I had no idea how detrimental it's actually, unfortunately it's permanent brain damage. You'll never repair uh, your sleep debt. I've been studying a lot of neuroscience behind this and a lot of the neuroscience says that it's irreparable. There's no such thing as catching up on your sleep actually. Um, and that sleep does permanent. So every time that happens, you're creating more and more permanent damage in your brain. And what I learned working for the New York Yankees team physician was that humans sleep in 90 minute increments. So yeah. it's better to wake up at a six hour increment, seven and a half or nine rather than in between those increments. And there is a plus or minus 20 minute cushion. So it doesn't have to be exactly at seven and a half hours. Seven and a half hours is ideal or nine, um, but it, you have plus or minus 20 minutes. Yeah. But I found that to be one of the most helpful I, tips in sleeping. I've been actually looking for a product or like a watch where it could detect your sleep cycle and wake you up in the right part of your sleep cycle. And I think there are some of them that are starting to to work, but I'm not sure how good they are. There's a bunch and the ones that I found are, that are most effective are the ones that attach to my Apple watch. The problem is I charge my Apple watch over <laughs> overnight. So it's kind of like I have this challenge. So if someone could figure out that issue, um, by the way, I'm not a napper, but I was reading uh, Dr. Daniel Pink's research about napping. And so the ideal time for a nap is between 10 and 20 minutes. They found that anything over 20 minutes had a detrimental effect on your brain performance. Anything below 10 minutes had no statistical significant difference on your brain's performance. And they found that the absolute best time is seven hours after you woke up is the ideal time to nap. So, okay. so if you woke up at like nine, then six, so 4 p.m., you should take a nap. Yeah. So, yep, that's, that's one aspect. And they also did some something called a nappuccino. So they studied what would happen if you consume caffeine, how would this affect the research? And they found that it takes, um, on average, the human uh, body sleeps within seven minutes of aiming to go to sleep. And so it takes about 20 to 25 minutes for caffeine to enter your bloodstream. So the idea is you drink a cup of coffee right before your nap, Uh, So about 25, 27 minutes, give yourself that seven minute window to fall asleep. And then by the time you wake up, the caffeine has hit your bloodstream (laughs) and you just finished your nap. They call it the nappuccino. They found that out of all the the control group and they did a double blind, a placebo controlled study. They found that the control group, the ones that didn't nap, the ones that took a nap, the ones that napped with the caffeine out of all of them, the ones that napped with the nappuccino 
perform better with the brain processing speed than any other of the groups in the experiment. Really cool research. I'm not a big napper, but if you're going to nap, you, you should do it the right way. So don't sleep over 20 minutes and don't do anything less than 10 minutes or you're going to have a detrimental effect on your brain. Oh, it's there you go. Dr. Phil, I'm here to solve all the, all the <laughs> questions. Um, Kaimeshin, thank you so much for being here today. Before you go, what's next for you? The next big goal, milestone, or bucket list item you want to achieve? Yeah, next big goal is we want to have a thousand universities around the world using our product. And we want to get there as fast as possible. So that's where we're heading right now. And congratulations, you just launched your new video live streaming product at UniBuddy. So uh, to help students connect with universities during this difficult time of lockdown. And um, so go check that out, unibuddy.com. Yes. Right? And where, where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Um, you, can, you can go to Twitter. It's um, commercial underscore or um, LinkedIn as well. Happy to connect. Perfect. And we'll put those in the show notes. Please go connect with Kaimeshin. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Kaimeshin Naidu with UniBuddy, who connects prospective students with current students to help them make better decisions so they're not making decisions alone. We learned so much today, how to nap properly, how to hustle, and how to start in a startup before you create your own startup to make sure you're making the right decisions. Kaimeshin, thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Phil. Really enjoyed it. Have a good one. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Yes. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>